My mother believed and my father believed that if I wanted to be president of the United States, I could be, I could be vice president. This is America. Former Vice President Joe Biden has been elected president of the United States. It is my greatest honor and privilege to have been your president. We will be back in some form. We are still deeply divided. Public health experts warned this was coming unless more was done. And here we are now. Are you proud of what happened here today? Absolutely. Never before in American history has there been an uprising like this. Of the 75 million Americans who voted for Donald Trump, I don't know how many today are feeling, dear God, what was I thinking? But I would wager a lot more are thinking, let's carry on this fight. Character matters. It matters. Tell them the truth matters. The 21st century is going to be the American century. Because we lead not only by the example of our power, but by the power of our example. That is the history of the journey of America. It's the Irishman in America podcast with me, Jarrett Regan, over here and Marion McKeown of the Sunday Business Post over there. We have a lot to cover this week, Marion, including Kevin McCarthy's latest mortification and a possible end, thank God, to the writer's strike. Obviously, Rupert Murdoch has been in control of the headlines for an awful long time. But his stepping down is so significant that it's hard to believe over here that Russell Brand is still occupying so much of the front pages. You obviously believe that Rupert Murdoch stepping down is more significant than the open secret that was Russell Brand having all of these allegations against his name. Well, I think they're two very different stories. I think in terms of, firstly, does anyone really believe Rupert Murdoch is going to retire? Even his retirement memo, the, you know, the, the, the note he sent, the way he said, I'll be, t- be taking an active part every day, I'll still be. It sounds like he's saying, okay, you know what? My son, Lachlan, who, God help him, isn't the brightest, um, is going to take all the flack. He's going to take all the incoming. But I'm going to keep pulling the strings behind the scenes. And that's, to me, everything we know about Rupert Murdoch suggests that it doesn't matter if he's 92 or 102. He cannot walk away from power and wealth are his raison d'etre and the accumulation of more power and influence and more wealth. Now, I think that, to me, the Dominion case was an inflection point. That was a point, I think, that broke Fox News to a large degree and broke Murdoch in terms of it became so hard to defend him after that. It became so hard for him to justify what Fox had done. But uh, so he has had some health problems recently, but but I suspect that he will still be as active with behind the scenes as he's ever been. And as I say, but he'll just have somebody else to take the taking incoming. The, uh, taking the hits. Yeah. yeah. Like yeah. 92 years old, he's not a spring chicken. And I feel like he's been around so long that it becomes just part of the wallpaper. Like I can remember the Simpsons taking the piss out of him when I was a teenager. And I was like, have people forgotten? Do you do you get the sense that there's a younger generation who don't quite understand who this man is, what he created, and exactly how much of a virus he, unrele- he released on the US public? And can you put him in context for those that aren't totally clear. Do you know, if you look at his legacy, now, objectively, he is a formidable businessman. There's no doubt he took a little newspaper when he was 22 or 23 in Australia after his dad got shafted and turned it into this 
global force, but a global force that is not for good. I don't want to say for evil because it sounds, but a global force that has been so destructive on multiple levels. I remember when I was first working as a journalist and of course the whopping strikes were on, he had bought the Sunday Times, which was then regarded as the kind of the the gold standard of journalism. It was, they had Harold Evans, who every journalist hero worshipped as the editor who was about truth and speaking truth to power and going after the hard stories. And Murdoch came in and did his deal with Thatcher and you scratch my back, I scratch yours. He has been transactional more than anything. He is the Donald Trump. He, he, He basically is the template that Donald Trump kind of grafted himself onto. And the, the thing about both of them, but to go back to the brutality of the whopping strikes, where this guy positions himself just like Trump. And I think this is my biggest beef with Murdoch. And even in his farewell missive uh, that, that he sent out, where he's talking about the elites, the elites who peddle their own narratives, the elites who are fooling you with their lies, etc., and that he is the last bastion, he is the defender of the working man, when everything he did, if you look at the way he attacked every union that had anything to do with media industries, the way he supported Thatcher when she went after the unions, he was anything but a champion of ordinary people. He set out to completely destroy any power they had for collective bargaining and other things. And all the time he became richer and richer, more and more powerful. And there's something to me that it takes a lot of chutzpah for a 92-year-old multi-multi-multi-billionaire who has penthouses in New York, ranches in Montana, properties all over the world, to position himself as somebody who takes on the elites. He's somebody who has been whispering in the ear of every political leader who would have him, who would tolerate him for the last half a century. And I just find, like Trump saying, they're coming after me, So because I stand between them and you, Trump has never been a friend of the poor people. He stiffed every contractor he ever had. But I think he really took a leaf out of Murdoch's book and thought, you know, if you position yourself as the angry populist and you you make you you sort of and Trump has mastered angertainment. He has mastered it as an art form. But Murdoch um, basically crafted the mold before him. And Mm. there's a really interesting to be fascinating thing now where Murdoch is the Dr. Frankenstein who created the beast in Trump that he could no longer control. And he did it despising Trump. He has always despised Trump, but he was happy to do it to make this Faustian pact because he realized that through Trump, he could get more power and he could get more ratings and more money. And I remember covering the Dominion trial in in Delaware in April. And just the, again, the chutzpah, the lies, the refusal to acknowledge what they had done, because really the, the, the road to January 6th attacks was paved by Fox News. The road to what happened on January 6th by their constant lies, by their championing of Sidney Powell and Jenna mm-hmm. Ellis and Rudy Giuliani and all those lunatics, by their insistence that the election had been stolen and guys like Lou Dobbs saying anyone who supports Biden is a criminal, et cetera, et cetera. And he, I mean, this was the drumbeat. This was the drumbeat that accompanied the attacks and Murdoch knowingly presided over it all. And we saw in the discovery documents for Dominion, we saw that he knew all along that it was all bullshit. 
He knew it was all lies. So did his presenters, but they didn't care because this was where they were getting their ratings back. This is where they were making their money. And if American democracy went to hell in a handcart, well, so be it. And so I I think his legacy... Will that be his legacy? Is that what he will be remembered for? Because there are business people and business, I guess academics who will say that his was a masterclass in how to create an empire. Uh, but this is the overarching trail that's left behind. Are you, is that well, what you're an saying? an empire of destruction. And again, you cannot take away the fact that he was a very good businessman. Yeah. He, sold, he sold Fox, 21st Century Fox, to Disney. He sold them a pop for $71 billion. And Bob Iger is no slouch. No, Bob Iger's no clown. But he, at the time when films, when cinemas were emptying out, when it was all becoming all about streaming all the time, he unloaded this basically white elephant for 71 billion. He negotiated the toughest deals so that the cable providers like Spectrum and all those, in order to carry Fox News, um, they have to pay him $3 billion a year. He was a Unbelievable. And I respect Um, what about him, that he knew business, but there was an empire of destruction is not an empire you can admire. You could say the same about the Sackler family. They built an empire. But look what it is. Roger Ailes was his partner until, of course, his death in 2017. Until he was forced out because of the sex scandals. Egregious sex. I mean, if you look at the, there has every step of the way with Murdoch. Let's like, let's let's not even go back to the phone tapping and the hacking in in that shuttered news of the world. And and he was hauled before the British Parliament, and they said he wasn't fit to run a big company. That was only 2011. That's what 12 years ago. And he recovered from that. And ironically, having to divide his companies in two actually made him even more powerful because. That was the deal after that, that he had to sort of, it was, the, the analysts called it good company, which was Fox News, films, etc., and crap company, which was his papers in England, the tabloids, all that. But it actually worked out to his benefit. And he, he became richer as a result of having to make that bifurcation. And, and so, but it's, I, as a journalist, I, I find him an utterly repugnant human mm. being. I mean, I could admire him objectively as a businessman and what he achieved, but you he could have achieved, he could have been a huge, Mike Bloomberg is a hugely successful businessman. He's a hugely successful media owner. He is a capitalist. He's a pro-businessman, but, you know, he is also a decent human being. Yeah, well, let me go into that a tiny bit before we move on from this, because like I said, we had an awful lot to cover. Yeah. You're you're essentially saying that this man could have used his power for good. Yeah. This the, this thing that he created, while it is a huge business success, what motivates a person to sow the seeds for anarchy or to sow the seeds through misinformation? And as you said in those discovery documents, we realized that he he knew exactly what was going on, as did the presenters. Is he a sociopath? What kind of a person does that? Because when you say money, power, that's his thing, he wanted more and more and more. But it's it's nearly Lance Armstrongy in that he seemed to have no moral compass. Yeah, I I think that his his raison d'etre was to 
have more and more power. He was extraordinarily powerful and he reveled in it and to get more and more money. But, you know, again, and it is back to that thing. I mean, Bloomberg is wealthier than Murdoch by several billions, many, many billions. He never race baited. He never fanned the flames of cultural war. That's just one obvious example of another media mogul. I mean, there are others as well. You you don't have to trade in hate and traffic in hate and race baiting to make a fortune in the media. But he appealed to the, he didn't just appeal to the lowest common denominator. He found a group of people. And yes, there was a market that they felt they weren't being served by NPR and PBS and ABC and CNN. And he, you can serve that market without pandering to them, without, mm. without appealing to their worst instincts. Sure, but I, sure, sure. But my, my, question is, yeah. Yeah, my question is, what, in your opinion, motivated him other than, I get what you're saying, like power money, gotcha. Yeah. But was it that he liked being the bad guy? That Because that nearly, there seems to be a push in that direction. There are those people that are like, well, you got to have dark, you got to have light. If without dark, you don't have light. And they kind of get off on, I'm thinking of the footballers and the, the sports people that I know who enjoy going into being buildings and being booed in stadiums. They actually mm-hmm. get off on it. Yeah. They, they enjoy the bit of hate. It, it lights their fire. Is that the same for Rupert Murdoch? I don't think so, because if you look at the number of people, sources close to Murdoch, as as he would have it, who have claimed repeatedly, and Michael Wolff, talk about Michael Wolff must have been born under a very lucky star. Michael Wolff is the guy who brought us the three books about Trump. The first one, Fire and Fury, and then there was Siege, and then there was, forget the name of the third, but they were all insider, insider, and he had huge access to Everdeen Fox News because he had written the biography of Murdoch back in 2011. Mm. He has now written another book, which is coming out next Tuesday. Uh, (laughs) Just in time. (laughs) It's called The End. I better get the title right. But basically the, the title, and I'm paraphrasing here until I do get it right, is The End of Murdoch and Fox News. Basically, it's it's saying the jigs up, boys. Mm. And indeed, Murdoch has obliged him by agreeing with them, at least nominally. Uh, I'm, I'm just going to look up the name of this because I've ordered it and I, I ordered it earlier and I cannot. The Fall, is that the one you're talking about? Fall. Yeah, it's it's the new, so he wrote The Man Who Owns the News back, it was 2008, I'm sorry. And it's I, it's called The Fall and then it's, I think that it's, it's also the... The collapse uh, of Rupert Murdoch's cable network. Collapse. Yeah. So, so yeah, and, and the Trump books were Fire and Fury and then Siege and then Landslide, which was about the 2020 election. But Wolf has a piece in the New York magazine this week, and uh, he's kind of saying that, well, Murdoch really tried. He really tried to put the right people in place. He didn't realize that Tucker Carlson was going to, this wasp, the king wasp. I mean, Carlson, like, and again, Carlson portraying himself as somebody who would take on the elites, you cannot, if you, you could not find a more apt poster boy for elitism. He's an heir, he's married to an heiress, he's an East Coast wasp, he belongs to every private country club that nobody else can get into in the country, and yet positioning himself as this champion of the ordinary man, it's laughable. But so it's, it's, it's about, the, the book um, claims that when he put 
Carlson into that the primetime slot, he thought that he'd be a moderating force, that he hired all these people and he thought they'd be moderating forces. And yet... Had he met Tucker Carlson? Uh, indeed. But yet he did nothing when they turned out to be flamethrowers. He did mm. nothing with the fire out. He poured more gas on it. It was like, yeah, you go, you go. Yeah. You're getting more ratings. So I find, I don't think that he revels in being despised. And in being hated, I'd say that wounds him because he is egotistical. But I, and I think that's why he has repeatedly put out these damage limitation sources close to him who say, but, but Rupert didn't mean for that to happen. But Rupert's a moderate. Rupert is, yes, he's yeah. right wing, but you know, it, it's, yeah. and it's kind of like, really, it, it's, it's so lacking in credibility. Well, like, I cannot wait to read this book, The Fall. And I wonder, is it possible? Because like this, this is, this is what the book predicts the the fall of yeah. Fox News even further from where it is right now. Oh, it's is on it the way. Oh, yes. It's possible um, that Murdoch read this book and went, I'm out of here. <laughs> <laughs> the advanced copy went, whoops, out there. Like, it is possible. I mean, he'd have to have a read of it. He was, Wolf had very, very strong relationships. He didn't get Roger Ailes and Steve Bannon. The reason Fire and Fury was so uncannily accurate and shocking was that he had sources that no journalist could access in, in Washington, D.C. or beyond. He had Robert or Ailes telling, and Bannon and all these people telling him everything about what was going on, telling him, well, Murdoch thinks Trump's a gobshite. He said he was an idiot. He thinks he's a moron. They gave him chapter and verse. So he, I suspect you might be right, but, it, but the writing's on the wall anyway, John, with cable news sure. is over. It's yeah, but the book's coming out Tuesday yeah, and it couldn't be, like Michael Mulf must be jumping around clicking his heels going, this is oh, absolutely like, good. It worked out better. The star, that chap, he really was. <laughs> but, but you know what I will say, and a lot of journalists are very snitty about Michael Wolf. He is a terrific writer. If mm. you want something to seem to come alive on the pages instead of some dry, arid report, Michael Wolf will will make it come alive. And he has contacts. He wow. knows. He's talking to these people. And, yeah, and he's so the real insider. He's, and whether or not you respect the way he parlays his insidership is, is neither here nor there. I suspect this book will be really informative. But I think that, yes, Fox News is over. And um, in the long term, it's long. Lost, it's lost 16 million viewers in the last since 2016, or is it 20 million? It's got about three, like each show now has about three million viewers, between one and three million viewers, which is very little when you consider the outsized influence that it wields. And but but the same is true of CNN. The same is true of MSNBC. Streaming has taken over. Streaming is now getting into sports. It's getting in. It's into it. It's into everything. I have a Peacock Peacock subscription for five dollars a month. I can watch all of the Rugby World Cup on it. It's taken over. Uh, yeah, and, and and part of the reason, the main reason, we're looking at this writer strike dragging on and on, which we're obviously going to talk about yeah. later on. Uh, Marion, I need to talk about the reception that Vladimir Zelensky has had in Washington. It's been hard enough to get yeah. the news and to get a sense of what's going on there. Maybe you can give us an idea, because certainly this is very different from the uh, Star Spangled yeah. Banner and flags over the shoulders, arm in arm reception he's received in the past. Well, it's kind of shocking and it's it's really appalling i would say because as you say when when it was only 9 months ago that he delivered 
that address, the joint address to Congress, where he had a standing ovation and he really put it to America and said, basically, we're we're doing if we if we if we don't hold this line, it's going to be up to you. We're the guys who are on the ground who are holding back Russia. All we're asking, we're not asking for your blood. We're not asking for you to lose lives. We're just asking for your support. And he made such a compelling case during that speech. I was in Washington at the time. I remember going, "My God, it was so moving." Churchillian and, you know, was the comparison, wasn't it? Yeah, and it, he and. But he was, there was humor in it as well. There was passion. There was, and I think people were really wowed by him. And I, there were Republican skeptics, of course. Marjorie Taylor Greene was there being ridiculous as, as she is and various other people, but he really had an impact. You fast forward nine months to today. Well, for starters, Congress is in turmoil. They are literally burning down the House, the, these Republican hardliners as we speak. And yes, Zelensky and his wife, they went to the White House and they met Joe. Biden and and they had their meeting there. But you had people like J.D. Vance from Ohio, who's barely in the Senate a wet week, Mr. Hillbilly Elegy and Chip Roy. And they sent a letter to the White House opposing, like a letter directly in time to be at the same time as the meeting saying, you're not getting another 24 billion in aid. Sorry, you're not getting it. Zelensky, apparently, he, he met with Kevin McCarthy privately, but Kevin McCarthy wouldn't allow him to address Congress, saying we just don't have the time. I mean, it's it's sort of beggar's belief. They have plenty of time to have these insane battles over and over again, the same Groundhog Day battle over and over again. They have plenty of time. Congress, he, he had said Congress couldn't go home until they passed spending bills, until they, they passed a continuing resolution. Well, they all went home. So there, there was plenty of time to facilitate a... Thirty minutes. Uh, I remember Alec Baldwin saying this: that when you get told in America we don't have time, we don't have the money, they're mm -hmm. not saying they don't have the money or the time. They're saying we don't have the time for you. Exactly. Exactly. And and likewise, Byron Donalds, who's another craven Trump crony, said, "There's no money in the house for Ukraine. There's no money in the house. It's not a good time for him to be here." I mean, it's it's just staggering. Like this, how quickly Republicans forget that Ukraine was a democracy that was invaded. And, and just that they are so dismissive of him now. They are so, it, it's shocking really. Now, the Biden administration has, for the time being, for now, opted not to provide Ukraine with long-range missiles, with the ATA, let me get this right, ATA-CMS. Um, and th that would have that would allow him to go beyond to strike behind Russian lines. So Biden says, "Well, I'm not taking it off the table in the future." Well, Jake Sullivan actually said that when we, he did a briefing earlier today that we were all on Zoom. Um, but again, this is you kind of wonder where this is going because the Polish government has also said that it's going to stop sending arms to Ukraine, and and if. If if Zelensky stops getting the help that he needs, Russia is going to win. We will. There will have been this appalling loss of life and sacrifice and the bravery of these Ukrainians for nothing, for mm -hmm. nothing. Because and the money that he's asking for, 
So far, America has given him, what, about $70 billion, give or take. It is nothing. The American defense budget is, I think, $752-824 billion or thereabouts. This, this is basically paying to hold back Russia, to, to, to keep Putin in his place by proxy. And this is all it's costing America. And they... Uh, and. The Republicans still don't want to pay it. And even with Biden, and we've spoken about this before on, on the, the, during a, a previous chat, is, is he just trying to contain Putin? Is this serving a purpose that Putin is being bled by, by the war in Ukraine? He's being kept weak. He's being kept. He can't take anything else on. He can't create any other mischief anywhere else. And, but, but for the people who are living in Ukraine, who are suffering and dying and being blown up and starved and under siege for their soldiers, for their volunteers, this is every day. And and to me, I'm just, it's so, well, the, the Republican Congress, I mean, what what can you say about them really and their, and their behavior? But, but I find it just really alarming that now America as a whole, more Americans now oppose helping Ukraine than support helping Ukraine, but by a narrow margin, admittedly. And presumably, I believe this is why Kevin McCarthy would not allow Zelensky to address Congress, because yeah, I think he, had he been allowed to do so, those numbers would have flipped. That Americans would have gone, oh my God, yeah, we, we need we need to keep the faith here. And so I mean the he's reading the, the temperature, right? He's he, yeah. he's and he's like, taking his order from Trump. He's taking exactly, his orders. Exactly, exactly. You know. Now the, the, before we go to our break, and we've so much more to talk about in the second half of the show, uh, this is a very unique time in there. I mean, McCarthy and what's happening and how as he, he has to debase himself on a daily basis, more of it this week. I think that it might be the only time in American history that you could have a situation like Ukraine going down, the leader of that country come to visit and him get turned away at the door in terms of making an address. Is is this a once-off, Marion? Is this never? Are we in uncharted territory in terms of McCarthy and the position that he finds himself in? I really don't know. McCarthy... Be careful what you wish for. That's my advice to everyone out there. Kevin McCarthy is exhibit A of be careful what you wish for. He prostrated himself. He crawled over broken glass practically to get that speakership. He went 15 rounds of humiliation and and he gave away the farm. It was like he yeah. didn't care what it took. He wanted that speaker's gavel. And now he's got it. He hasn't a clue what to do with it. He may as well just beat himself over the head with it because mm. he's not. I mean, no yeah. job is worth it. It is a cautionary yeah. tale for anybody who's thinking about going yeah. for a job where they want you to do X, Y, and Z. No job really? is worth it. He has been humiliated every week of his speakership. He was humiliated. Like this week, it kind of peaked with he couldn't even pass the military spending bill again for the second time he failed. And he'd said to the Republicans, you're staying here until, as I said, we pass the continuing resolution. We have to avert a shutdown. Well, they all went, screw you, Kevin. And they all went home. He has wow. no control over so who's this group of this there's one particular gang that that really love pulling his pants down in front of everybody now who's in that gang okay well it's kind of led by matt gates now there's a little bit of a backstory to this that hasn't really been 
covered in any great detail. You may remember in 2022, Matt Gates was investigated. There was a criminal investigation initiated by the Department of Justice into Matt Gates because he was accused of, well, he was, he was accused of sex trafficking an underage girl. Um, he, he and his buddy down in Florida had these parties and orgies and what have you, allegedly. And he was, a, he was accused and he was investigated um, for taking an underage girl out, of, basically flying her flying to her down. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, to have sex with him in wherever he wanted to. I think it was GC and a couple of other places. Anyway, it turned out that she didn't want to cooperate, and so the the nine month investigation was completed, and no charges were filed because you cannot really bring a case if you haven't got cooperating witnesses. You know, in in an area like that. Now, it didn't. That went into. Uh, Congress, the Congressional Ethics Committee, which was led by a Democrat at the time, um, said, well, we're going to investigate this because not only was he having sex with a girl who was underage and trafficking her for those purposes, allegedly, he was showing pornographic videos and photographs of her on the floor of the house and of other people as well. He was disseminating like a real nice guy. And so he was so he was investigated, the, the ethics committee, and then he was accused of accepting bribes and he was accused of a whole bunch of other stuff. Fucking hell. The ethics committee um, said, okay, you know what, you boyo, we're gonna have a look at you. And they they started to investigate him. Then the midterms came, and just in the nick of time, the Republicans took over the House. And of course, that investigation, it was headed then by a Republican, they dropped it. Now what's happened is in the last, in July, this investigation has been opened again. Kevin by McCarthy? No, he can't do it because he's not the chairman of the, okay. the yeah, yeah. But a McCarthy ally who is the chairman of the committee said, I think we're going to open that again. Now for a Republican to open a dormant investigation into another Republican is just unheard of. <laughs> and so anyway, Gates was obviously fuming furious yeah. to McCarthy. And he said to McCarthy, you better intervene in this. You better shut this down. And McCarthy, developing a strange and unusual morality, said, oh, I can't interfere. Oh, that wouldn't be right. <laughs> what a time to grow a spine. <laughs> so this is... So it's now seconds out round two with McCarthy and Gates. And Gates is leading this charge against McCarthy. And last week, McCarthy, in a rare show of, I think probably just frustration, uh, said, because one of the things McCarthy gave away to get the Speaker's gavel was, he said that, as it happens now in Congress, it only takes one person. It, it used to have to be five before, not that many, admittedly. Before that, it was 16. It only takes one person now to bring a motion on the floor of the House to say, we want to oust the Speaker. I want this motion. I want people to vote on it. And Gates has been saying that to McCarthy nonstop since January. Aha, uh -huh, you do that. And I'm bringing a motion. I'm bringing a motion. You're out, you're out, you're out. God. So he has had him over a barrel. And anyway, then last week, McCarthy said, you know what? Bring the effing motion. Bring it. And McCarthy, I think, knew at that stage that it probably wouldn't pass because you have... Matt Gates and his very his merry band of people, which I'm trying to think who else is in it. Dan Bishop, he's a Republican from North Carolina, and um, there's also a God Ken Buck from Colorado, who's a bit of a lunatic who really does not like McCarthy at all. Marjorie Taylor Greene, interestingly, well, she came back in today, but she said she was leaving that group because 
she doesn't believe she said that, that she doesn't want to associate herself with these kind of troublemakers <laughs> and yeah. rabble rousers because she's serious about governing. She's serious about of being. Of course a she is. Of course now, she is. She, she got over that today to join with them again to support McCarthy, but she she's playing both sides of the fence. So you we can count her in. Then you have Ralph Norman, um, who's also opposed McCarthy and Matt Rosendale, who's another one. Now the interesting thing about all of these um, people who are there, they're the tip of the spear, the tip of the spear that wants to pierce McCarthy through the heart, they all are looking at other jobs at the moment. So I think McCarthy is thinking, 24, these these bastards could all be out of here because Gates wants to run for, for governor of Florida. Now, I suspect the chances of him winning that might be quite slim given his, let's just say, slightly slightly grimy resume. And Ken Buck wants to get a gig on Talk News. All of these people see their jobs in Congress, not as jobs that they should be doing to help to govern, to pass laws. They see them as stepping stones to media gigs, to a gig in Fox News, or to getting into the Senate, or to setting up something else. Um, And this is why they're happy to disrupt and destroy and derail anything happening. But for America, they're looking at this, it's very, very likely now that the government will be shut down on the 30th of September. Wow. Very, and we very know nice. we know the chaos um, and the heart the heartache and the difficulty yeah. that that causes so many like low earning people. It yeah. is something that needs to be avoided. Workers who get sent home and yes, you know, even things like the Department of Motor Vehicles can't function. Like if you need to get your 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 license, renewed, yeah. like basic stuff that affects people on every level. Right. People right. who rely on food stamps won't yeah. be able to get them. As you say, it's the ordinary people who are really going to suffer. But the thing about this is that before when um, Republicans shut down Congress, when they forced shutdowns, they'd always go, oh, it's the Democrats. We're just trying to, this time it's, oh no, yeah. not even Republicans believe the Democrats well, are responsible. It, it is, is easy. Oh, yeah. Easy and, to see how yeah. Americans can be frustrated and angry with inverted commas, the establishment. In the second half of my conversation with Marion, we're going to talk a little bit more about this and also that writer strike, how it appears that the end is in sight. But how? I want to ask Marion the question about how is there an end in sight in Ukraine as well? Because for all of the treatment of Vladimir Zelensky this week, It is hard to see an end in sight there. And finally, we will, of course, talk about Russell Brand. Is Bill Cosby the only parallel to this case, this US parallel to it, in that people did seem to know, but nothing was done? Come on over to patreon.com forward slash Irishmanabroad. I promise you, you will enjoy what is on offer over there, including a bonus podcast this week called The Runner's Digest, a deeper dive into the world of athletics. If that's what floats your boat, you're going to love that too. Of course, there's access to the full back catalogue of Irishman Abroad interviews and double-sized episodes with Marion and Sonia each week. Ready? You have the cameras rolling? This is America. A lot of people who would probably consider themselves liberal have done very well financially under the Donald Trump four years. You encouraged espionage against our people. You condemn any interference by Russia in the American election. By Russia or anybody else. Russia, please, if you can, get us Hillary Clinton's emails. Please, Russia, please. To renew America, we must revitalize our democracy.